It is true that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And the Lord is present with us this morning as we praise him and give thanks to him for his call to us to be his own and to run the race of life that God has given us. Would you open your Bible this morning, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, from where we will take our text as we continue the series entitled, Truth or Consequences? That title implies that there is truth and that there are consequences if one rejects the truth. This last Sunday in Pastor Don's message, you heard about some of the consequences, and especially the eternal consequence of hell, if we spurn the truth of God. Truth matters. Truth is the dividing line between right and wrong, between reality and fantasy, and ultimately between heaven and hell. It matters. Claiming to possess the truth is risky, especially in a PC culture of relativism where every idea is thought to be equally valid and where any notion of absolute truth is considered intolerant, narrow, and bigoted. Of course, there are those who know the truth, you and I, in Jesus Christ, we are to be tolerant in the traditional sense of that word, which is that everyone has a right to their own opinion. That is true. And I think every one of us would agree with that this morning, that we should be tolerant in that traditional sense. But as it has been redefined in our pop postmodern culture, it now means that everyone's opinion is right. And that's wrong. And so we cannot tolerate that idea. Today, if you say that someone is wrong, you're frequently labeled intolerant. And intolerance is the unpardonable sin of the leftist, politically correct ideology that controls the culture. Claim to have the truth and say that it is absolute, and you will bring yourself under attack in the school classroom, in the office place, in the friendships of your life, even in the family circle. Claim that you have the truth, that you know the truth, and others will attack you. One of the common statements that is used in attacking you is, if Christianity is true, why are there so many hypocrites? Have you ever heard anything like that before? Such a, a distinguished figure and thinker as Mick Jagger, <laughs> who, as you may know, is the aging leader of the band called the Strolling Bones, I'm, I'm sorry, the Rolling Stones, has recently recorded a song that essentially says, why are Christians such hypocrites? Maybe you've heard it. 
Well, sadly, the accusing question has some basis in fact, doesn't it? There are hypocrites in the church. And that seems strange, perhaps, because Jesus himself so strongly denounced hypocrisy. Listen to his words in this text in Matthew. It is only one of several texts that we could read from this morning, quoting Jesus himself, but look at what he says in verse 4 of Matthew 7. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is using strong and graphic language here, quite a, an amazing illustration of a plank sticking out of someone's eye who is actually trying to pick the speck out of someone else's. And Jesus calls him a hypocrite. Jesus warned his followers, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees which is, he says, hypocrisy. Yeast, of course, is, is good in the sense that it enables us to bake wonderful things and enjoy them. But it, it enables that because yeast corrupts. And because of that corruption, it's frequently used in the Bible as a symbol of what is bad and evil. And so Jesus says, beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy among Jesus' followers is not a modern phenomenon either. It has been an issue from the very beginning of the church. Even the leader of the apostles was guilty of, of hypocrisy. <clears throat> In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul recounts an incident when he had to confront Peter himself. Peter, the leader of the apostles. Here's what Paul says, verses 11 through 13. What Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, he says, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And here's what he means. He says, before certain men came from James, James being the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and this delegation apparently had come from the Jerusalem church to the church in Antioch in Syria, north of there. And he says, before these men came, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. That was a very uh, mistaken group of Jewish people who thought that you had to be circumcised to go through the Jewish rituals and believe in Jesus in order to be a Christ follower. And Paul writes the whole book of Galatians really to denounce that idea. He says you have absolutely no obligation to the rituals of religion. He says it is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so he points out at the beginning of the book that even Peter 
Years after Peter had been, had been the, the named leader of the church in Jerusalem, even Peter had been afraid to cross those who taught that false doctrine. And so he says the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. Now this is Paul writing about a confrontation, a conflict that he had with Peter and with others who were playing the hypocrite in the church in Antioch. My point here simply is this, that, that no one of us is immune to hypocrisy. None of us, including myself, can point the finger at somebody else and say, I've never been a hypocrite, but you are. The fact is that all of us, at some time in our lives, have played the role of the hypocrite. So how do we respond to this accusation, this charge that we sometimes hear? How can Christianity be true when there are so many hypocrites? How do you respond to that? Well, let's be honest. The hypocrisy is a real issue. But let me suggest a couple of things to keep in mind as we say that. I want you to keep these in mind because you do not need to be silenced or intimidated by anyone who throws this accusation at you regarding hypocrisy in the church. First of all, I want you to remember what hypocrisy is. Its meaning is simple. It is to pretend to be something that you're not. To pretend to be something that you're not. Jesus denounced the Pharisees because they put on this show of external righteousness, pretending that they obeyed all the commandments of God when internally he knew that was not the case. They were very proud of their external self-righteousness and put others down because of it. And Jesus called them publicly hypocrites. Years later, Peter was guilty of the same. He was fine eating and drinking and associating with the Gentile believers until this party of legalistic Jews arrived from Jerusalem and he changed his behavior. He felt intimidated and pressured to follow these rules of strict separation from the Gentiles that had been laid aside. He knew what the truth was He had lived according to the truth, and then he fell backwards. He he acted otherwise, and he played a role in order to please people. And he denied the truth that he knew. Webster's Unabridged Dictionary says that hypocrisy is a person who, a hypocrite rather, is a person who pretends to have virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs or principles that he really does not possess, especially a person whose actions belie his stated beliefs. Hypocrisy is derived from the Greek word hypocrisis. That word meant playing a part on the stage. 
It referred to the Greek actors who put on masks in order to represent the character that they were supposed to be. In old days, that had no negative connotation to it because that was a part of the theater language of that day. But then it was used in the New Testament in a different way of those who simply play a role that does not represent who they really are. In their very fine book entitled, I'm Glad You Asked, Ken Boa and Larry Moody talk about different forms of hypocrisy. They say, for example, hypocrites are those who join a church for the wrong reasons. Have you ever known anyone like that? Over the years, I've met some who joined the church not because they wanted to identify with its spiritual mission and believed in its values necessarily, but they joined the church for social reasons. Or they joined the church because of business reasons or because they were maybe pressured by family. Hypocrites. They point out also that hypocrisy is having a greater love for orthodox doctrine than for objects of that doctrine. This goes right to the heart of what the Pharisees were about. Hypocrisy is spiritual leaders who maintain, who, who, who make rather, solemn public, who maintain, let me go back, spiritual leaders who maintain a super spiritual image. Have you ever known someone like that? You're almost afraid to be around them because they seem to be so in tune with God. But the reason that sometimes that that is the case is because they're hiding something else in their lives. And they give this pretense that they never fail and they never sin. And because of that, we see them as being holy when in the fact, the fact of the matter is that there's something less perhaps. Hypocrisy can come looking like that. It can also be found among those who make solemn public vows and then flagrantly violate them. People who stand before God in a congregation and say that they take this person till death do us part and they promise to be faithful. And then they go out and commit adultery. That's hypocrisy. Or those who join a church, promising to support that church and pray for that church and be a part of the life of that church and then attend only on Sundays and are not involved otherwise. Hypocrisy. When we take a solemn vow, when we say that we're publicly, that we're going to do something, then we ought to take that very seriously. You see, there is this terrible tendency in all of us to compartmentalize our lives and then to rationalize our hypocritical behavior because of that. We put our lives into boxes. We say, well, this is my, my church life. This is my family life. This is my work life. And this is my school life. And I can be one way in this compartment, another way in this compartment. I can act another way yet in this compartment. And over here, I'm like this. Folks, that is the very common way that people approach their lives today in our world. It is a very dangerous way to live. 
because we become self-deceived. We think that somehow then we can justify what we do because what I do over here in this part of my life doesn't affect what I do in this part of my life. That's hypocrisy. There are people who go to church, they go to youth group, and yet when they're around their non-Christian friends, they act and they talk like something else, like they're not Christians at all. There are those who present themselves as Christians and yet have a completely different persona when they're online or they're in chat rooms or their own personal space on the internet where they post pictures and say things and make claims that do not honor Jesus Christ. That's the very thing that Jesus was condemning so strongly, hypocrisy in people who claim to be godly and the followers of Himself. Hypocrisy is living a lie. Hypocrisy is is putting on a mask. Hypocrisy is being an actor on the stage. It's being this performer who does goes through his routine and then when he leaves stage he's something else altogether. Hypocrisy is covering your faults so as to convey an impression about you that is untrue. Something that doesn't correspond to reality. It's being two or more people, depending upon the group that you're being around. The story is told about a mother who prepared a wonderful dinner for some guests who came over. And they sat down at the table, prepared to eat this meal. It was a very hot day. And she had worked hard that day to prepare the meal. And little Johnny, four years old, was at the table. She says, Johnny, would you lead us in prayer? And Johnny said, well, I don't know what to say. And she said, well, we'll just say what you hear me say. And so he prayed and he said, oh, Lord, why did I invite these people over on a hot day like this? (laughs) You know, we need to work on getting our internal and our external coordinated. To get them matched up. Because that's what integrity is. Integrity is when we're whole. And we don't have these compartments. We're whole. We're not one way when we're with our friends at school and another way when we're with our friends at church. We're not one way when we are at work and another way when we come to the Bible study. Integrity is when we are whole. We have it together. Now the fact is that none of us have it perfectly together. None of us. That's what the race is about. We're pressing on in that direction. But let none of us be content to be hypocrites. Let none of us live in such a way that our lives are compartmentalized and we think that this is normal. It is normal in our world. It is not normal for the followers of Jesus. 
But let me think with you for a moment also regarding what hypocrisy is not. We've talked about what it is, and it makes all of us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? But let's talk about what hypocrisy is not. First of all, hypocrisy is not limited to Christians. Every religion, every profession, every social group, every workplace, every movement is infected with hypocrites. Professionals in our world are infected with hypocrites. There are physicians who perform abortions. People who have taken a vow to protect human life, and they take human life. There are mental health professionals who manipulate clients for their own personal gratification. As we have been so tragically reminded even this last week, there are school teachers who abuse and even seduce their students. Hypocrites. There are politicians who position themselves to be moderate. That's how they want to appear, but in reality, they're leftists. There are conservatives or politicians who say they are conservatives, and yet they have no problem voting to make government even bigger and more powerful. There are union officials and civil rights leaders who claim to be for the little guy and for the oppressed, and yet who are really in it for the money and the power. Hypocrites. There are environmentalists who drive gas-guzzling SUVs. There are PC Nazis who demand tolerance, but who threaten those who disagree with them. There are contractors who bid a job and then they don't perform according to what they promised to do in the contract. There are employees who claim a certain number of hours on the time card and yet they don't really actually work that much. There are applicants who lie on their resumes about their qualifications in order to try to get a job. What I'm saying to you is that hypocrisy is not limited to Christians. Remember that when somebody accuses you of being a part of a movement of hypocrites. Hypocrite is endemic in our world. I'm not justifying hypocrisy in saying this, believe me. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying because there are hypocrites everywhere, it's okay to be in the church. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is that it's endemic in our world. It's common. It's everywhere in the world, in every strata of our society. Why then is the charge so hurtful when it's applied to Christians? The answer is because of Jesus. And because the world knows enough about Jesus that we who follow him should be above reproach. That's why it hurts so much when a Christian is known as a hypocrite. Secondly, hypocrisy is not what many people assume. I'll go back to Bola and Moody again in their book where they summarize it by saying this. There, there are some false assumptions about hypocrisy. Assumption number one, that profession means possession. <clears throat> 
There are many people in our world who take it for granted that because someone claims to be a Christian, he is one. However, you and I know that's not the case. Only a genuine believer can be a Christian hypocrite. And frankly, many of the accusations that are leveled against Christianity are the misdeeds of false believers, not real Christ followers. So there's that false assumption that profession means possession. It doesn't. The second false assumption is that Christians claim to be perfect. That Christians claim to be perfect. A lot of people have that idea of us. The authors write, some non-Christians put Christians in a lose-lose situation. On the one hand, they impose a double standard expecting Christians to behave on a level that they themselves never think of attaining. And on the other hand, they're offended by righteous behavior because of their inward sense of guilt. And when their Christian friends behave in a godly manner, they assume it must be a show and equate piety with pretense. The truth is that no one knows his own faults more than a genuine child of God. Isn't that true? No one knows his own faults more than a child of God. And no true child of God, really, if he's in his right mind, if he's walking with Christ, is going to claim to be perfect. We know very well we're not perfect. Thank God we're forgiven. False assumption number three. Not only do Christians, the false assumption that their Christians claim to be perfect, but a third false assumption is that all sin is hypocrisy. And that is not the case either. All sin is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when there's a willful pretense. When there's a choice to pretend to be something that is contrary to the truth. In a sense, hypocrisy is a compounding sin. What I mean by that is that there's the initial sin, whatever it is in one's life, and it's compounded by my lying about it and pretending to be something I'm not. And so it is really a compounding sin in a certain sense. Making a claim to be in the truth but not walking in the truth is what hypocrisy is. So there are people who have false assumptions about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not what many assume it is. The third statement I want to make, and that is that hypocrisy is not attributed to Jesus, ever. That was never once a charge made against him. But it is his followers who sometimes fail. Jesus himself, however, is the very antithesis of hypocrisy. Never is it found in him. And as I say, the world almost innately understands this. And that's why the charge against you and me is so offensive to them when we sin and try to cover it up. Because they know Jesus is not a hypocrite. Finally, hypocrisy is not acceptable as an excuse. What I'm saying here is that everyone else in the world, if if everyone else in the world were a hypocrite, 
That would not excuse a person from responsibility for his own choices and his own life. You see, the standard is Jesus, not somebody else. If you're holding out on a relationship with Jesus Christ because of someone else's sin and their hypocrisy, my friend, you're the loser. You're the loser. Don't allow resentment in your heart over somebody else's hypocrisy to keep you from experiencing the forgiveness and the life that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Don't try to use hypocrisy as your excuse for coming to Jesus, for not coming to Jesus. We have to acknowledge that there are hypocrites in the church. What I say to you, my brothers and sisters, is don't be one. Be sure that there is one fewer hypocrite than many people think there are. Be authentic and, and real about your faith walk. You can't control anyone else and the choices they make, but you can control your choices. You can choose to be real, and Jesus will be pleased. Remember this, that the truth of Christianity rests on the person of Jesus, not the performance of his people. For those of you wondering about hypocrites in the church, let me just share this. You can count on it. There are some. Because people will fail you. Even the best of us, even Peter, even the most well-intentioned of all of us will at some time be a hypocrite. So don't place your faith in others who are very much just like you, but place your faith in the Son of God alone because He is absolutely worthy of your trust and your faith. Above all, don't go to hell because somebody else failed and may be going there. You don't have to follow the hypocrite into hell. Ravi Zacharias is one of the finest apologists for Christianity in our day, in my opinion. He shared a story recently that is found in Marie Chapin's book, Of Whom the World Was Not Worthy. Perhaps you've read it. It is a book that follows the Yugoslavian Christian churches suffering under a cruel uh, and corrupt church hierarchy a church hierarchy. One day, she tells the story of a, one day an evangelist by the name of Yaakov who arrived in a certain village in Yugoslavia. He commiserated with an elderly man named Siriman on the tragedies he had experienced, and he talked to him about his love for Christ. Siriman abruptly interrupted Yaakov and told him that he wished to have nothing to do with Christianity. He reminded Yaakov of the dreadful history of the church right there in his town, a history that was replete with plundering, exploiting, and indeed even the killing of innocent people in the name of the church. My own nephew was killed by them, he said, and angrily he rebuffed any effort on Yaakov's part to talk to him about Christ. 
Zimmerman said they wear those elaborate coats and crosses signifying a heavenly commission, but their evil designs in their lives I cannot ignore. Yaakov, looking for an occasion to get Zimmerman to change his line of, of thinking, said, Zimmerman, <clears throat> can I ask you a question? Suppose I were to steal your coat and put it on and then break into a bank. And suppose further that the police sighted me running in the distance but could not catch up with me. One clue, however, put them on your track, and that is the recognition of your coat. What would you say to them if they came to your house and accused you of breaking into the bank? I would deny it, said Zimmerman. Ah, but we saw your coat, they would say, retorted Yaakov. The analogy quite annoyed Zimmerman, who told Yaakov to leave his home. Yaakov continued to return to that village and periodically would befriend Zimmerman, encourage him, and try to share the love of Christ with him. Finally, one day Zimmerman asked, Yaakov, how does one become a Christian? And so Yaakov taught him the simple steps of repentance of sin and of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and gently pointed him to the shepherd of his soul. Simmerman bent his knee right there in the soil with his head bowed and he surrendered his life to Christ. And he, he rose from his feet, wiping away the tears in his eyes. He embraced Yaakov and he said, thank you for being in my life. And then he pointed to the heavens and he whispered, you wear his coat very well. Don't you want to wear Jesus' coat well? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, speaking for my...